Um, good afternoon, everybody. It's really great pleasure to have Albert Banks here. Uh, Albert is a associate professor at University College de Cell of Madrid, and he's, he's also uh, the deputy director of the Institute in the Networks in Spain. But also, he used to be my PhD advisor, so it's it's really nice to have him here. And he'll be talking today about distributing opportunistic scheduling in uh, with the with control theory practical tools. Okay, thanks a lot, Paul. Um, is this, does the mic work fine? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot for the, for the invitation. It's really a pleasure being here and uh, having the chance to discuss with, with many of you. Um, what I'm going to talk today is I'm going to focus first on um, a piece of work that we did on distributed opportunistic scheduling. Uh, but I will also at the end uh, locate some space to briefly describe with one, one slide some different of pieces of work that we've been doing so that maybe if like any of these um, works catches your attention we can, we can um, follow up the discussion with, with more detail. So um, the, the work I'll be explaining um, most of my presentation today is, is the one that we presented pretty recently at Infocom, uh, which is distributed opportunistic scheduling a control theoretic approach. Um, and that's that joint work. Uh, my, my PhD student, Andres Garcia Saavedra, is the first author, uh, and my colleagues, Pablo and, and York from, from UC3M and India, respectively. So uh, just a, br a brief um, note on the, the motivation. Uh, I think many of you know about uh, opportunistic scheduling techniques. Uh, the key idea here is to take advantage of the fact that the channel conditions chan uh, vary over, uh, over time in order to locate the channel at a given point in time to the station that has the better channel conditions. So in this way, uh, we can make a more efficient use of the, of the wireless resources. So that's a, a pretty uh, well-known and standard technique in communications. And that's basically what this uh, uh, small animation is, is showing. So whenever there's a station that has good channel conditions, we want this station to transmit. Uh, that's a, as, as I said, that has been uh, widely studied in the literature. Um, and especially, uh, this has been done in a centralized way. So there's been a lot of work on centralized schedulers that basically there's one single point in the network that knows the channel conditions of all the stations and decides which one should transmit at a given point in time. Um, a bit more recent work and basically the one we are focusing is on distributed techniques to do the same thing. And um, that's uh, the approach that basically the, the Princeton guys uh, proposed in 2009 in uh, Transactions on Information Theory uh, and it's basically trying to do the same thing from a distributed perspective. So in this case, uh, and I'll explain in a graph later on, uh, what, what the guys are doing is they are contending for the channel, so there's no centralized entity that is aware of all channel conditions. Whenever a station uh, gains access to the channel, measures its conditions, and at that point, in a fully distributed fashion, decides whether to transmit or not. Uh, that's, that's the main point and that's the kind of techniques that we'll, we'll be working on. Um, so this is basically explaining um, the, the model that we have uh, and describing the behavior that I just talked about. 
So basically we have a slotted uh, channel, so we have uh, our channel divided in slots, um, and stations content for the channel. Uh, stations content with a certain access probability. When only one station, when non-station intends to use the channel at a given slot, this, this slot is empty. Uh, when more than one station intends to use the channel, we have a collision, and hence no, um, there's no success, or non none of the station gets hold of the channel. If only one station uh, attempts uh, to use the channel, there we have a, a successful contention, um, and this station decides whether to use the channel or not. And that's, that's we, what, what we have here. Basically here we have an idle, no station attempts to transmit, here we have mm, a collision because more than one station attempts to transmit. Um, and at some point, like for instance, this point here, we may have a successful contention, only one station at attempting transmission. Um, so what we do at that point is um, we look at the, like the station that has successfully contended uses this successful contention to measure the, uh, measure the channel conditions. By the way, feel free to interrupt at any point in time, so uh, you don't need to wait until the end. Um, when we measure the channel conditions, uh, that's this, this expression that we have here. Uh, what we do is we look um, at the transmission rate uh, that we could possibly transmit given the current uh, channel conditions. And so that, that's what we call uh, capital R sub I at time theta. So that's the, the transmission rate that we would have given the uh, current channel conditions that we have. What the Princeton guys, the, the, the paper I mentioned before, showed by using optimal um, stopping theory is that um, the optimal decision that you can make in order to decide whether to transmit or not upon uh, uh, contending successfully is a threshold policy. That's, that's what we are showing here. If your uh, transmission rate that depends on your channel conditions is below a certain value, uh, you should not transmit, which is what happens in this example. Can I ask a question? Sure. Yeah. Uh, obviously, so. of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are you assuming about the channel? Are you assuming that you're, you're saying they're, they're using optimal stopping theorems, but presumably they mean that the channel is IIT when you sample it, or uh, is the, like, so every time I go on, I win a successful transmission? I see an independent copy of the right. environment. Or yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a good question. So, um, uh, what what we are assuming, and so are the Princeton guy, is that uh, um, the the channel conditions are the independent from one attempt to the next. Okay. Um, uh, and and that's necessary um, for 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 the theory. Um, if you look, at, like they, they gave some justification, some numerical justifications, um, uh, stating that did this makes sense. Uh, what we did, because it's kind of a, a strong assumption that at least you should verify, is we, we used the the um, Jake's uh, simulator in order to see how things would work if you are actually um, uh, so if if you actually don't have independence in in the channel attempts. And, and things worked pretty well. I, I don't have this in these slides here, but we, we backed that by simulation, and, and that's, that's definitely a relevant aspect. I, I understand. I'm just trying to get clarity on sure, what the setting is. 
not not to, not to criticize it. It's no, 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 no. I, I didn't take it there at all. But um, it's it's indeed something that we we wanted to look at at and. Actually, um, one, one follow-up work that I had in mind at some point, but didn't really uh, manage to get the maths on, uh, was precisely if, if you don't take this assumption, whether you could do a, a bit better. So basically, the point would be, um, but that's maybe for a better for a follow-up, um, but the, the point would be that uh, after you've attempted transmission, if you did not succeed because your channel conditions were not so good, rather than keeping with the same probability, you may want to reduce your probability for a while. Um, so that, that would be nice, I think, piece of work to, to do, but we, we never really got to it. Um, so, yeah, so the point is, later on, when we contend successful again, uh, hopefully the channel conditions have changed. So if, if our transmission rate with these channel conditions, it's above a certain threshold. At that point, uh, we, may, we may proceed uh, with the transmission. So that's pretty much what I've explained so far is pretty much what the Princeton guys did in their transaction on information theory and some follow-up papers that were, they wrote on the same idea. Um, uh, here, basically, the, the whole point and what I'll be talking, uh, what I'll be focusing about here is how you configure the various parameters uh, of the different stations. And basically, the parameters that we are dealing with here are the access probability of each station, which is the uh, probability with which a station attempts to transmit at a, a mini-slot, and the threshold configuration. So, so all I'll be talking about is about how to optimally configure these parameters here. Uh, so le let me. Um, try to state the, the shortcomings of the previous work, which is basically the motivation uh, for our work. I think that previous work was quite insightful and helpful, so I'm not trying to criticize them. Uh, but of course, we, we tried to, to improve over certain aspects of their work. So um, the, what, what the Princeton guy did, and basically their configuration of the previous parameters I've mentioned, was trying to improve the overall throughput in the network. That's pretty much what opportunistic scheduling is about you. You want to make a more efficient use of your channel by giving it to the stations that uh, have better conditions. Uh, the problem that um, this has, though, is that it may lead to unfairness issues. So basically, if I just want to maximize the overall throughput, and you have pretty much a good channel all the time, and, and another one has a pretty bad channel all the time, I may be giving, giving the channel always to the same station. So that's something that we are trying to improve of their approach, uh, uh, so to have a better trade-off between fairness and, and overall performance. Uh, the, the other thing that the Princeton guys did is they only focused on the optimization of the thresholds. They didn't really look at the access probabilities. And we have basically joint optimization problem of the, the access probabilities and the threshold. So uh, we were trying to optimize all these parameters together and not just a subset uh, of them. And, and last, and I think actually the most important thing is that um, the approach of uh, these previous approaches on distributed opportunistic scheduling. So the scheduling is distributed, but if you look at the algorithms that they implemented, in order to find the right configuration of the stations, it's centralized. 
which is somehow a, a, a contradiction, right? But because on the, this, on one hand, you don't have a centralized entity um, that uh, kind of runs the whole algorithm, but then they are assuming that, uh, or, or the main requirement in order to complete the configuration is that you have in a centralized entity the information about the average channel conditions of all, all your stations. Of course, that was not clear in, that, in their paper, and it took me um, quite a few ways or weeks or digging into it to realize that the, the, their approach was, was actually centralized, but, but it, it was centralized. Actually, to, to be completely honest, they, they, have to, they had to approach one that performed well and was centralized and another that um, did not really perform well and, and it was basically, they, they saw the second approach as um, it, like when stations are selfish. Um, and the second one did not perform well, was, was centralized, uh, but you know, when stations are selfish, they almost never give up the transmission opportunity. They almost transmit all the time that they have. So it was not really opportunistic uh, scheduling any longer. So, so yeah, I mean, to, to, to make it short, it was not really centralized, their approach. Um, so that's, that's where w what we are doing. So basically our, our first contribution is to uh, conduct a joint optimization problem to compute all uh, uh, the, the optimal configuration of all these parameters. And the second point, uh, the second contribution of our work is to uh, come up with an adaptive algorithm that is fully distributed. And there we wanted to have a good trade-off between um, speed of convergence and stability. And it's where uh, we use some uh, con control theory in order to find a good trade-off uh, for that. Um, so let's, let me start with um, the computation of the optimal configuration. Uh, so I was, I was saying before that uh, previous approaches basically aim at maximizing the total throughput. And I said that um, this is not really good compromise between fairness uh, and performance. Uh, the metric that we want to maximize in our work in order to find a good trade-off is the, the very well-known metric of proportional fairness. So we're basically, we want to maximize the sum of logs of uh, the individual throughputs in the network. And I think that's uh, very well established in the community as a, as a good trade-off and a good metric in order to optimize performance when you have some fairness constraints. Uh, so that's what we want to do. Um, uh, we start um, with the first of, uh, set of our parameters, which are the axis probabilities. Um, it's pretty well known that for any uh, configuration, if you want to optimize uh, the axis probabilities and you have a, a, slot, a, a, loja, a slot at a loja kind of channel, like in our case, you want uh, the sum of all probabilities to be one then you can have like different weights in the probabilities, but they, they should always uh, adapt to one, which basically means that the um, empty probability on your channel should always be one over E, no matter you know, the, the, the different weights that you wanna get, give to your access probability. So this is a, a quite well-known um, result from, from previous works. I'm citing some paper here, but that's pretty much uh, un undergrad level, right? Um, and the other question that we get um, is the result of imposing that the partial derivatives of this function we want to maximize is equal to zero, uh, which basically gives us 
some ratio between access probabilities of different stations. So basically, if you, are, you just uh, solve the system of equations that you get uh, by combining all this, you can get your access probabilities. Right? I mean, th this has a unique solution and so on, but I will not get into the details. Um, so here, here with this, we can solve the, fair part, the first part of our optimization problem, which is getting the access probabilities. Um, the, the trick here is that the second equation depends on this capital T sub i, uh, which is basically the average time a station holds the channel uh, after a successful contention. So depending on the threshold that I'm using, uh, I, meet, I may be transmitting with a larger or a smaller probability when I get uh, access to the channel. So basically, um, this, this value here depends on what my threshold is, which I, I still don't, don't know because I'm solving this, the first part of the problem, which is the access probabilities, and I don't know the threshold. So, um, the remaining ch challenge here is uh, if I know what my thresholds are, I can get the access probabilities, but the question is what are the optimal thresholds? Which is not an easy problem because like the, the other transactions on information theory paper was just about finding uh, the optimal thresholds. Um, so that's, that's the next step, how to, how to find the threshold. If we manage to solve that, uh, we'll, we'll get to have the complete uh, optimization uh, configuration of our problem, which is the thresholds and the access probabilities. Um, I'll, I'll not go into the details on how we get the optimal thresholds, because it's a bit uh, uh, complex, uh, but I'll try to explain um, the, the, the results so that, that at least you, you, you can get into the result. So um, this, this theorem here, uh, what it's saying is that uh, I have a network with a different number of stations. Each of the stations will have a certain channel with certain average SNR and so on. Um, and the question is, what is the optimal uh, threshold for each of the stations? What this, this theorem is saying is that uh, if I take a given station, I imagine that this station is alone in the channel with no other station uh, uh, contending for the channel. I, I give this station a certain access probability, which is one over here. And if I'm able to compute the optimal threshold of this station for these conditions, the optimal threshold that this station will have when it's in a network with you know, whatever other number of stations with whatever channel each of them will be exactly the same. So basically, um, with this theorem, I'm able to uh, formulate my problem, which may be very complex because there might be very stations with different channel conditions. I'm able to formulate it as a much simpler problem in which uh, there's only one station in the channel with a certain access probability. Is that the idea that, that I don't just mm -hmm. transmit arbitrarily because... Mm -hmm. So, so um, actually, I mean, I, I should have rephrased a bit better this theorem. So that holds if I'm assuming 
that so with the, with the station being alone in the channel, most probably you would not have independence, which was your your previous question. So this is uh, uh, the theorem applies if I consider that this station every time it senses the channel, it gets an independent sample, right? Um, and and the point is that if I, I, I contend for the channel, I'm the station, I contend for the channel. My signal-to-noise ratio is low. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm transmitting for a long time. I'll be getting few bits out of this uh, period. So I'd better go back, uh, attempt later on, and hopefully get a better channel. So, so that's the point that if a station is alone, just transmitting a bit later, it would probably not get an independent channel. But since, since this theorem is not really assuming that the station is not, uh, alone, but it's just solve, solving some theoretical problem, uh, it, it still holds, if, if you follow what I'm saying. Um, so, so that's basically the, the, the key part uh, of solving the optimization problem, because with this we are basically, uh, we are able to decouple one problem from the other. So, on the one hand, we can go individually for each station and solve uh, the optimal threshold that results from this, um, uh, from this theorem, which we can do looking only at local data of the station. So the station can locally compute its optimal thr threshold without needing to interact with any other station. Because it, the, the optimal threshold only depends on the channel that I have and that's something that I can measure myself and I don't need to interact with any other station. And that's the optimal threshold that the station is going to have. And then the other problem would be how to compute the access probabilities that we will see later. But it really decouples the computation of the threshold, which can be only with local information, from the, the rest of the problem. Um, this, this is the expression that results from solving um, the a simplified problem that I have in theorem uh, one, and this is basically the expression that that results from uh, uh, using optimal stop stopping theory with this uh, simplified problem. And and yeah, that's that's the the main highlight here that it's it's only uh, local information. So um, if I recap on what uh, we've seen so far, uh, basically the configuration of the uh, uh, threshold, uh, it's a fixed parameter that each station can compute with local information only. Um, and the remaining challenge now is to design an adaptive algorithm to compute the optimal access probabilities. We've seen before the uh, system of equations that allow us computing the, the optimal access probabilities. But now we, we want to have a distributed algorithm to, to compute that. So that's, that's what we are going to do with um, a control theory. Uh, so this is this is the uh, the, the system that, that we'll build uh, for that purpose. Uh, basically, what we are going to do is uh, we are going to have a very simple controller uh, in each station, which is just a proportional controller, um, and we are going to fit this proportional controller uh, with the error signal. What we want to compute out of the controller is the access probability, which is what we wanted to compute. Um, and I'll, I'll show that, I'll motivate that a bit later, uh, later, but basically what we showed, or what I said before, is that 
we want the uh, empty probability, so the probability that no station attempts uh, uh, to transmit, we want that this is equal to one over e. So uh, the error signal that we fit into the controller is precisely the, error, the empty probability that we are measuring minus uh, the empty probability that we want, which is one over e. Um, so yeah, that's the, the different parameters that we have in the controller. So basically, this is this is the closed loop filter um, that we have uh, from from this controller. So basically, what we are going to have is uh, we'll measure the uh, empty probability. So the probability that th this lot is empty. We want to have the average of that. Because uh, basically we want the average empty probability to be equal to 1 over e. So we are going to use a low pass filter in order to get the average um, of the empty probability. Uh, then here we have the, our, our controller, which as I said is just a proportional controller. Um, and at the output, and then, and then basically here we have our, our system, which we are going to linearize in order to be able to, to apply control theory. Right, so these are the, the different uh, building blocks that we have in, in the system that we are designing. Um, so the, the challenge here, if, if, we look at, um, if we look at here, basically we have all, all the models are, are pretty much done, uh, known. Uh, we have two parameters that we need to configure. Uh, not really two, but basically two, two per station the proportional controller of the station, and also the, um, the averaging factor of our uh, uh, first order filter, right? So alpha and, and uh, KPI are the two parameters that, that we want to configure. Um, alpha we can easily, oops, alpha we can easily, um, um, you know, set it to, to some value because it's pretty much well known uh, the, the averaging behavior that we have with alpha. So really what um, the challenge here is to compute uh, the, the, the proportional um, uh, uh, constant that we have in our controller. Um, so how, how do we measure K, K, this, this constant? Um, if we look at uh, the equation that we had before, Basically, we said that uh, this was the ratio that we want to have between the access probability of two different stations. Um, and this is precisely, if we look at the controller that we have, um, the access probability of a station is proportional, since it's at the output of the controller, it's proportional to the uh, uh, constant of the controller. So if we take the constants of our controller uh, such that they meet this ratio, we are ensuring that this equation is met. So basically, um, what we can do is uh, we can take um, our proportional constants equal to some KP value plus the value that we have here, and we will ensure that the ratio between access probabilities will, will meet this um, equation. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, you kind of treat them like the TI is a constant. Sorry? The way you're talking about it sounds like you're treating the TI as if it's constant. Um, yes, yes, we are. It's a factor to pounds upon, mm. uh, you know, <clears throat> how, how you run mm -hmm. the statistics, the conditional statistics of your, your transmissions. And 
that's that's correct. And everything else is. Yeah, I'm finishing. No, I was just wondering. It just looks like they're all being adapted and they're not really. So so. Yes, it's actually the, 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 um, in the follow-up journal version that we are writing, we are looking precisely at this. So basically, uh, the, the TI depends on my threshold, right? Which depends on my radio conditions. In, in that particular piece of work, we just assumed that radio conditions were constant and were known. So for us, PI, uh, TI was, was a constant. Um, what what we are doing in yeah exactly so so ti depends on the probability that you use a transmission opportunity right um, uh, and that depends on the threshold so if your threshold is fixed your radio conditions are fixed statistically um, then ti is a constant it's true no, it it does not depend. That's that's the trick. It does not depend on your PI, because it's, the, it's no no. It's if if you remember, it's basically okay. No, I I, I don't I don't want to go back. Um, basically, the 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 threshold you compute it based on your local radio conditions. If you had an access probability which is one over e, so your PI can be any value. Uh, it does not affect your threshold, right? And, um, uh, uh, and so, so basically, the, the PI depends only on, on your radio conditions. So, so the point is, in reality, and that's what we are doing in the extension. If, for instance, you are moving away from uh, the other the end of the communication or you know you move you move indoor and like there's a wall or something your radio conditions might change and you have to adapt to that so it's true that the ti uh, may n does not need to be constant and may change over time but the important point is that the ti that does not depend on your pi nor in the pi of the other station so from the the closed loop point of view it's an external factor. The fact that it changes over time does, does, it doesn't change the fact that it does not interfere um, in, in, in this, to this loop. So from this loop point of view, it's, it's an external factor that may or may not change. But it's something that we want to adapt to anyway. So that's the that's the number e, so the two two point seven, um, and that's that's because we have basically an, a locker kind of channel, in which you know the the, the channel is slotted in a similar way a locker, the slot that the locker is. No, no, sorry, tau tau is is um, uh, tau is the duration of a slot. Right, so that's that's a, t a time duration. Yeah, maybe I didn't go into the terminology. So yeah, that's that's the number e, and that's the duration the duration of a slot. Okay, it's not it's not really. I mean, I didn't. It it was not the intention here to go to that level of detail. Uh, you, you answered my question as, as I had asked it, but I'm 
and ultimately you can imagine whether the people transmit or not does impact upon the channel that you observe. You know, yeah. So because because you're in a shared environment, right? So other people are transmitting more. There's more energy. Maybe it looks noisier. Right. So um, I'm not. I'm not asking. Yeah. No. No. The the. The, the, the key assumption here, and of course you could make your model more complex, is that um, if you have a success, it's because nobody else is transmitting at that mini slot. So in that sense, it would not really, if, if this assumption holds, it would not depend on the other stations. If we are assuming capture effect and stuff like that, yes, then, then I, I, would, I would agree that you need to go with, uh, to analyze this in further detail. That's, that's correct. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, if, if we set our uh, proportional uh, constant equal to some value multiplied by um, this, this expression that depends basically on uh, our threshold, uh, we ensure that the ratio between access probabilities is as desired, uh, and the remaining chal challenge is how to compute now we have only one value to compute, which is uh, KP. And the challenge here is um, how to compute KP such that the system is stable. If KP is too large, the system would turn unstable. If we set KP too small, then you know, reaction when something changes would be too slow. So uh, the challenge here would be how to, how to find a good, a good trade-off. Um, and in order to do that, uh, we basically linearize our system which means that we are not really going to guarantee global stability, but just local stability. Uh, but that's a, a quite common technique uh, used in, in many cases in, in uh, networking. And then uh, once we do that, uh, basically we need to make sure that the, the poles are inside the unit circle in order to ensure that the system is uh, stable. And then we, we can use different techniques in order to, to compute the, the right value of KP. Here we, we just use um, um, some heuristic uh, rules, the Ziegler-Nichols, which are uh, quite used and generally work uh, uh, reasonably well. Um, so based on that, uh, we find some bound uh, on the stability. Um, and as long as you know, we configure our KP um, equal to this value that uh, provided by the ziegler Ziegler Nichols rules, um, you know, we, 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 we have a good uh, level of stability in our system. So what, what we did at that point is we went on, we went on and, and tried um, uh, this KP configuration. The, the result was that uh, the system was still very, very apparently unstable. Uh, after analyzing a bit more closely, we, we realized that it was not really unstable. Uh, but the point is that uh, we have a very noisy system uh, because uh, basically what we are doing is we are taking, uh, we are measuring the empty probability and we are averaging it. But basically the noise that we have in our system is that whenever the slot is not empty, basically we are putting a one and when it's empty we are putting a zero while the average of the empty probability is one over E. So uh, this difference between one and one over E or zero and one over E uh, from a control theoretic uh, viewpoint will, will be noise. And this noise is still filtered by the different models that we have, uh, but if it's not attenuated sufficiently, uh, it, it will still show a very large oscillatory behavior in the output. Um, and this is, 
you know, in, in, in practice, it's, it's very similar to having an unstable behavior. So um, what we had to do in, in, in this case is basically we computed the, the power of this noise that we have. Uh, we, we saw how much we were attenuating it, and we imposed the second condition on KP, which is that it, may, it, it needs to be sufficiently small in order to ensure that we have a proper attenuation of, of this noise. And then by uh, uh, setting our KP equal to the minimum value uh, um, that ensures that we don't suffer too much from noise and the minimum value that ensures stability, uh, we have a both uh, um, an appropriate behavior both from stability and, and noise point of view. Um, so I'll, I'll try to quickly show a bit um, without going into details uh, on the performance evaluation. Hopefully I will still have a bit of time to talk about other works. Um, so what we are showing here is uh, the behavior of our algorithm, which is uh, uh, what we call ADOS, um, against the traditional DOS, which is the, the approach of the Princeton guys, the optimal configuration and non-opportunistic. So here we can clearly see what I was saying before. One of the main advantages of our work is that um, while improving over non-opportunistic, we have a better trade-off um, uh, in terms of total throughput and fairness. So we're a bit worse than those uh, on overall throughput, but if you compare one station and the other, we, we have a much more fair behavior. Uh, so that's precisely the, the goal of um, going for um, uh, proportional fairness. Another interesting feature, and I didn't talk about it, uh, but it was actually one of the key motivations for the proposed approach is what happens in non-saturation. So many, like the, 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 m most of the work so far, uh, including the, the previous approach that we are uh, uh, trying to improve upon, assumes that all stations always have um, a, a package to transmit. Uh, the fact that we are basically measuring the empty probability and adjusting it to one over E, no matter whether the stations, individual stations are trying to congest the channel or not, makes that we adapt the, the, the parameters to the actual load that the different stations uh, bring into the network, uh, independent on you know, how many stations we have and whether they are saturating the channel or not. So if we look at the, be the behavior um, of our approach against other approaches when the number of stations increases. If the stations are not saturating the channel, the other approaches would be over-conservative because they would be assuming that the stations are saturating the channel and therefore access probabilities will be overly small, while in our case we adapt to the actual channel load and you can see that performance is much, much better. That's that's correct. Um, we are we are using a ratio of one over ten. Uh, the the main reason is um, because that's the the one that previous work was taking. So it seemed to us um, 
a, a, a better comparison. Yeah, but that's um, we we investigated that and and yeah, there's 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 this effect. So uh, if if the ratio is too low, basically um, you you would always transmit. If if it's very high, you'd be more uh, more conservative. We we did some um, uh, computation also with t taking into account the, the wireless LAN. Uh, but also, we didn't want to make this wireless land specific, but but more general. So, so yeah, we 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 took one over ten, and then I think in some simulations we played a bit with this. But one over ten was just you know to 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 build on previous work. That's 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 a good point. Um, and then on on the KP configuration, um, I'll just present this this quickly. Um, so, I, I presented before the the different computations in order to adjust KP, which was basically to find this trade-off between stability and speed of convergence. And here we see that it's actually quite sensitive. If we go for KP on only 10 times larger, we, we see like this um, uh, totally unstable behavior. If we go for KP uh, only 10 times smaller, we see that, that it, it reacts very slowly to, to um, uh, changes. Um, so that's pretty. That's pretty much uh, it for the piece, uh, first piece of work that I wanted to present. I think I'll I'll use about ten minutes uh, for the for the rest of the of of the works, and then if there are some questions, I'll be happy to answer them. So basically, here the the, the three contributions just to summarize were the the joint op the joint optimization problem, the the distributed adaptive algorithm. Um, and the, the control theoretic analysis. Um, so let me let me quickly go to, to some other works. Um, this work here we presented uh, at Infocom as well in the in the mini conference. Um, uh, what I wanted to highlight here is that uh, we like I think that pretty much uh, a bit like here we, we like combining the theoretical stuff with also some some practical experimental stuff and uh, like this work clearly falls falls on the on this on the second part um, and it's it's actually I think quite related to the Flavia project in which uh, a number of guys here are involved um, so basically what we were looking here is if you look at voice over wireless LAN uh, basically you have this behavior in which um, you have um, uh, two, two voice flows always in the opposite direction which are totally synchronized uh, and if you look at the, the, the frame exchange you have a voice packet, you have the, the Mac level ACK, and then you have um, you know, a few milliseconds after, you have a voice packet in the opposite direction and the corresponding ACK. So uh, the idea here was that if instead of doing this, um, and you know, voice packets are very small, so they consume pretty much the same transmitting a voice packet than transmitting a, a, an, an acknowledgement frame. If you, instead of doing that, you could piggyback this voice packet into the um, into this act basically you could have only the exchange of two frames uh, which more or less doubles the the um, the overall throughput that you have uh, in the in the network and I, I mean many approaches like this have been proposed in the literature so that's the, it's not that novel though there may have the, be different flavors but the the novelty here is that we just didn't propose that but we went and implemented it with the Broadcom cards, which I think that it's one of the nice things of Flavia that you can really 
implement that that on on cars. So so we went on and evaluated the the performance of that, and effectively you can pretty much double the the number of uh, voice calls that that you can run on a, a wireless network. Um, and if you look at you know even if you're not saturating with voice, you look at the remaining throughput that you have with data, and you know pretty much you have also an improvement. So this is actually, um, we, we, we have built this pretty large test, but I think now it's about uh, 50 nodes. Paul, I think in, in his last time in, at UC3M, he helped bu building the, the, the initial part of this test. So basically what we are doing is we call it floor net because it's, it's uh, under the, the false floor. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite a convenient way of, of developing a test bed that allows for pretty large scale um, experimental analysis. Um, another piece of work I'd like to, to briefly, briefly talk about is uh, one that uh, we got recently accepted at Connex. Actually, it's, I think, now in a shepherd um, kind of process. So uh, um, uh, it's hopefully in the process of getting accepted. Um, what we were looking at um, here is, uh, again, experimental work is at the uh, power consumption behavior of 802.11 devices. And this is actually um, John work with, with Giuseppe Bianchi, so uh, uh, he was also involved in that. Um, so first thing that we needed to do is uh, build, build up uh, energy uh, power measurement tool, which, which didn't prove that, that easy, uh, because we, we had to, to use some um, error analysis techniques in order to make sure that we could get measurements with the um, desired level of accuracy, which was one of the limitations of previous works. So some previous works didn't get to our conclusions just because um, they didn't have sufficient accuracy to really measure um, with, with uh, sufficient accuracy the contribution of the different components. Um, and also one of the, the novelties here with respect to previous works is that we were measure, measuring um, the consumption of the entire device and not only the wireless car. So there were like some works that uh, with oscilloscopes, they were looking only at the, 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 the wireless card. Uh, but I think that they were missing some interesting points because some of the interesting points that we found out, you know, are, are caused by wireless activities, but do not take place in the wireless card. Um, so what we're looking at here is um, we, we were trying to break, count, break down the different components. And the, the one of the key findings that we made is that the a very substantial portion of the con consumption, maybe even more, it depends on the specific configuration you're using, but in many cases, more than 50% of the consumption does not really take place at the, at the wireless card, but really in the, like while crossing the protocol stack. So we were looking at you know, which places of the protocol stack and pretty much you know, every layer contributes in a similar order of magnitude. Um, uh, so, so basically what, what this shows is that the previous traditional model where say, they say that you know, consumption is a constant plus uh, another constant multiplied by the time you stay transmitting and another constant multiplied by the, th the time you, you, you are receiving, that, that doesn't really, really work. Uh, uh, and what we did is we proposed a new model that is, is actually surprisingly accurate uh, for all situations. 
and it has many, many practical implications. So I remember when I was telling Giuseppe this story, he said, okay, but, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting, but I think that this, this is just a new model that if you apply it to use cases, you'll get exactly the same conclusions. So in order to get him excited, we started thinking of some uh, use cases, and we saw that there are quite a few scenarios, like for instance, relaying, where there's been a lot of work on saying how you can save energy in relaying. Um, so if you take into account that the relay does not consume only based on you know, the, transmission, uh, the, the transmission time, but also in the, the protocol stack processing, the conclusions are totally different. Um, and also other interesting conclusions is that if you take these results, maybe you can devise new ways of saving energy. Say, instead of using a normal socket, uh, you use a raw socket, uh, which as you know, jumps a few layers in the protocol stack. You, say you, you get different level of um, uh, energy consumption. Um, another, another piece of work that uh, uh, I'm uh, quite, quite happy with. This is um, uh, currently uh, uh, submitted under evaluation. Um, is uh, taking this approach that I was talking about today and analyzing it from a game theoretic perspective. So basically, the, the goal here is, or, or the problem is, uh, not that all stations are trying to collaborate in order to get to the optimal configuration, which is why, what I was telling before, but what if stations uh, are really misbehaving, kind of maliciously configuring the parameters like the threshold or the access probability in order to get as much throughput as possible from the network? And here, um, this resembles a, a bit the work that, that some people here are doing, but the difference is that I'm taking a totally distributed approach, so there's no centralized entity that can monitor things, but only stations can play with their contention, uh, their access probability and their threshold. So the point here um, is that if I see that some station is, you know, uh, uh, playing aggressive with its access probability in order to get more bandwidth, uh, in order to punish this station, I can also play with a more aggressive uh, access probability so that um, you know, this station will see more collisions and will not benefit. Of course, the, the difficulty here is to uh, calibrate exactly the level of punishment to inflict, because if I react very aggressively and a third station sees that I'm very aggressive and again plays very aggressive, uh, we are going to collapse the network. So the, the challenge is how to uh, uh, react by decreasing or by increasing your access probability in a way that the other stations do not benefit, right? So we have a nice equilibrium and, and so on. And uh, when all the stations are playing honest, we go to the optimal configuration so we, we avoid collapsing the network. And uh, precisely, you know, a tool that, that has been devised to uh, 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 adjust the parameters so that we convert to optimal oper uh, operation is, is control theory, right? That's a, a, a tool that uh, can, can ensure convergence and so on. So I think the, 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 the key approach here is to combine in such a way control theory and game theory in order to provide these this, uh, properties. And very last uh, work I will mention is 
um, this work on opportunistic communications. This basically I did um, this, this last summer at, at ETH. I, I visited uh, Domenico Giustiniano at ETH and we were working on a Microsoft a project. So, so the project was basically about a hybrid approach that combines opportunistic networking and cellular communication. So opportunistic networking is basically when, you know, some kind of delayed tolerant network so that when I meet somebody I share my, my content with, with this person. And the key novelty here is that um, uh, we, 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 don't we don't do that only with the later networks, but we have the cellular network, we have the opportunistic network, and we want to combine both networks optimally so that uh, on the one hand, we offload the cellular network as much as possible, which is a main concern right now for operators, right, that cellular networks are becoming um, a, a congested. Um, but on the other hand, um, when opportunistic networks are not sufficient, we are still able to provide quality of service, which is the, base, the basic problem with DTN, right? That, that quality of service is not that good. Um, so in the interest of time, I don't think I'll, I'll go through the details here, but basically we came up with the model that uh, models this hybrid approach and building on this model, uh, we managed to build an algorithm that uh, optimizes performance. Actually, we, we compared it with other papers. There was a, a woman best award paper that came up with some heuristics for this problem and we basically doubled its performance. So we, we were quite happy about the, the results uh, based, based on our analysis as compared to previous heuristics. So I think I, I'll stop here. This one or this one? So for you introduced the saturation element into the into loop. You took the you minimum you took the minimum probability of two. Oh, this one? Yeah. Did you did you take that saturation element into account for the stability of the feedback loop? Um, no. Um, so basically, um, the. The point, I mean, the, I, I have omitted m most of the maths for, for uh, I think, uh, understandable reasons. The, the point is that um, when, when we have this loop, um, at, at the end, we, we are considering only saturated stations. Mm -hmm. And at the end, basically, the, st the conditions for stability and even noise and so on depend on the number of stations. Uh, so in order to make sure that even in the very worst possible case, uh, we satisfy these conditions, we take the worst possible number of, uh, like the, the number of stations that provides the, um, the, 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 the most uh, stringent bounds, which is, I, I don't recall exactly, but I think it's one or, or, or two in that particular case. Um, so, so we are considering in all the analysis that we have saturation. What would happen if we didn't have saturation? That, that's some intuition that we have, but we have not proved that mathematically which is that basically if you have four stations that are transmitting at half of the saturation rate, that's pretty much equivalent to having two stations that are saturating the, the, the network. So our assumption is that if we have an approach that works for any number of saturated stations, it will also work um, for 
any condition in which we have any combination of saturated and not saturated stations. But this is, as I said, the conjecture. It, it works in all simulations and so on, but we don't have any mathematical proof for that. What's the reason for using only proportional control? Um, because it seems to be really sensitive, as it's shown that when you change the mm -hmm. change. Um, there's, um, so, so basically, um, yeah, um, there, there's a bit into this. Um, so, so basically, um, if, you know, if, if you take, um, a proportional controller and a first order filter, you put them con them together, you have almost a PI controller. So we have something that is very, very close to a PI controller. Why, why don't we have a PI controller directly? Because the, the PI controller has an infinite memory. So if we, if we just tried to put uh, a PI controller here, which we will have a very, very similar um, uh, uh, Z-transfer function as, as, as that, than we have here, but would be different. A PI controller has infinite memory, so if two stations, because for instance they join the network at a different time, started with different access probabilities, they will keep this, uh, the difference over time and they would never you know, converge to the same value. So yeah, we have like, ha having this low pass filter plus a proportional controller has very, very similar properties to having a PI controller. Uh, going to the game theory approach okay. uh, for punishing this uh, Basically, when, someone, when I detect that someone is misbehaving, I just punish everyone, increasing my probability of transmitting. That's correct. Well, I could just maybe increase the probability of transmitting when the misbehaving guys from the like jamming just him. Mm -hmm. Is it possible? Yeah, um, so, so yes, th there's, there's a bunch of work that has been tailored at jamming, uh, using jamming for punishment. So that makes your solution much more simpler and the analysis much more, much more simple. Because the key difficulty here is that if in order to punish a station, I increase my access probability, there's another station that you know, may even be joining later or whatever, and will interpret my punishment of the other station as misbehaving. So the challenge is how to make all this uh, behave properly and converge. While if I was jamming, there the, this confusion will not, be, will not be possible. So if you have jamming functionality, yes, it's a much better way of using it. The problem is that uh, this functionality is not really available in, in hardware and you know, may not be likely to be available. So actually, right now with the broadcom cards and so on, there are some people that are playing around with that. So, so yeah, if that functionality is available, you can play with it, but our assumption, and I think it's a, a, a reasonable assumption, is that it's, it's not available. Okay, let's thank Helmut again.